and welcome to What a Scream, the podcast where I, your host, Grain, chats about horror movies with a special guest every week. Um, and in particular, we chat about two horror films that have to do with a certain subject or topic that I've previously randomly chosen. So this week's episode is all about a topic that is quite dear to my heart because um, I did my college dissertation on this. Um, I was doing a visual communications graphic design course um, and I we had to do an educational article and I did my article on the graphic design of German expressionism horror movies. So our topic this week is German expressionism horror films. Um, it's quite quite an out there subject. There's not a lot really on it, but Sherlock, we're going to discuss the most famous of them, um, which I'm sure you can probably guess already. That is uh, Nosferatu and Des Cabinets Des Dr. Caligari. Um, the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, of course. I'm sure I absolute messed up that German completely. How? Who knows? Um, so yes, my special guest this week is Joshua and together we will be discussing German Expressionism and these two films. So enjoy. So I would like to welcome to the podcast Joshua. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you doing today? I'm, I'm very good. Um, I'm in London and it's a lovely, dreary, rainy day in London. <laughs> Same here, actually. Yeah, it's officially spook season with all the rain. and. <laughs> yes, it's very fitting. Yeah. Um, so would you like to introduce yourself and, and let our uh, listeners know what you do? Absolutely. Um, I am author Joshua Marcella. I am from... Maine, up in the uh, New England part of the United States. I um, I write mostly horror. Um, I've thought about diving into smaller genres at some point, but um, I write. Um, I've written two novellas so far, as well as a debut collection that'll be coming out uh, on Halloween this year, and also a uh, middle grade horror book through the Fright Vision series, which I'm pretty excited about. And uh, I have some other projects on the way that I'll be working on. So, um, yeah, that's pretty much it. I've, I've lived horror my whole life, so I'm really happy to be here. And being from Maine, I guess you get this question all the time. But was it Stephen King that influenced you to uh, start writing? Yeah. Um, and long before I was uh, interested in actually writing, I, you know, Stephen King was a major influence on us um, just because his his work was everywhere. I mean, between, between his books, uh, the movies always being on TV back in like the, you know, late 80s, 90s, constantly, you could almost always find a Stephen King movie on. Um, and just the fact that he was like our only famous person from Maine uh, and he was so well known, um, you couldn't help but just be saturated with you know, Stephen King stuff your whole life. So um, it's always been, uh, especially when I started writing, it was, it was kind of like, you always get asked that question about, you know, do you feel like you're living under his shadow or anything like that? And it's, it's nothing like that. It's really uh, totally, you know, he's just a big inspiration. He's, he's a Mainer at heart. He's always been um, a really down to earth human being. Um, and that's really, 
the heart of what it is to be a Mainer. And uh, it's, it's really nice to see he hasn't, he hasn't lost that part of himself and he actually still lives here, I believe most of the time. Um, so yeah, it's definitely, uh, definitely was a huge inspiration. And how did you first get into horror? Um, was it like the writing kind of came first and then the horror or was it the other way around? Uh, definitely the other way around. I, um, I've, you know, I've always been into horror because when growing up, we had cable TV and it was always horror movies on and I was allowed to watch whatever I wanted from a very early age. Um, I didn't start writing until the beginning of 2020. I've always enjoyed writing, but I never thought, you know, I could do it for like a hobby or actually write books and publish them until last year. Um, and the idea for my first book kind of came to me after I went to a book signing up in Bangor to see uh, Richard Chismar, who's actually uh, collaborated with Stephen King a couple times. So the it, it was just a given that I was going to write horror uh, just because I've always been such a fan of it. And it's just, I, I don't know, there's something about New England and Maine that, uh, you know, from like the early settlers and the Salem witch trials and the, the so much history in this part of the country it's just a given that, you know, if you're not going to write some sort of historical fiction, you're probably going to dive into some some horror. There's always a lot of history around here with like old houses on the coast and widows and, and just, you know, with their husbands dying out at sea. And it's really cool. It's pretty rich, rich in history for our newer country. You know, we're only a couple hundred years old. So, um, yeah, it's it was just a given that I was going to definitely probably write horror. And that's just where I feel comfortable right now. That's amazing. I've always wanted to go to uh, that part of America. Um, you know, I've done like New York City and Chicago, but I've always been like, that's where I want to go. Like obviously being a, a little spooky bitch. Um, so do you, do you remember what the first horror film was you ever saw? Yeah, I think the one I remember the most and, and uh, was the VHS, I, I think my mom must have rented it or they bought it. And this was like back when VHSs were really expensive. They bought, uh, I think this was 1989. I was five years old and it was the first Child's Play movie. Um, the original one, you know, rated R, unedited, just, and it was, it was pretty brutal. I mean, it, it, it is a slasher and it is about a doll, but it really kind of feels like there's a deeper meaning to it. Like the way Chucky treats the mother and stuff like that. It kind of feels like it's, it's almost about like domestic abuse when you really boil down to it. It's, it's, I think there's deeper themes there, even though people just kind of see it as this childish doll running after, you know, with this kid. And I've always, and maybe that's because I watched it at such an early age, but I, I do believe that was the first one that I actually remember watching. Um, and it's still one of my, probably one of my favorites. It's one of the darker child's play movies too. They kind of got, you know, a little deeper into the, you know, the comedy and the, you know, the, the humorous side of it. But I do think that was probably one of the darker ones. Yeah. I definitely remember when I was younger, um, everyone always talked about um, child's play and especially here in England, there was a case of two young boys murdered another child and they blamed it on the movie child's play. So it's always been like, this big scary thing that I never I didn't actually watch it until I was an adult um and then when I watched it 
like it it can come across as quite humorous and um but yeah i'm definitely gonna have to re-watch it because i've never i've never really thought about it in terms of that but i'll definitely have to re-watch it um so what is your favorite subgenre of horror do you think that perhaps child's play being your first horror that has kind of influenced what you love now um I honestly, uh, I consider it a slasher. And to be honest, I'm not even a huge fan of slashers. I like them and I enjoy them, but I kind of like uh, more psychological horror, but really my, probably my favorite would, would have to be found footage. Um, I love that genre from, I mean, I was one of the people that saw Blair Witch in the theaters and thinking it was real and the way it just affected me um, has really stuck with me. And, and of course, later that night, the, the friends I went to see it with, we saw the actors on like, I want to say it was Jay Leno or, or Conan O'Brien. And we were wicked bummed out because we were like, this is so scary. And we thought it was real. But uh, I think I was like 16 or, or 15 or 16 at the time. Um, but yeah, that one just really stuck with me. And uh, I, usually it doesn't matter how awful the found footage is. There's just something about it that uh, really, really I enjoy. And it's it's become one of my favorites. And I also like uh, like occult type movies, um, ghost stories, things like that. Uh, mysteries involving like the woods and disappearances and stuff. Uh, anything like that I, I do enjoy. That's great. So let's um, chat about our theme for this week, which is, it's a bit of a, a random one, I'll admit, um, but it's one that is kind of close to my heart. It is German expressionist horror. Um, I did a thesis, I was doing a graphic design course and I did a thesis on German expressionism in horror film and specifically their movie posters. So I got to watch a lot of the German expressionist horrors. Um, what is your experience with this genre and do you like it? To be honest, um, it's very new to me. I've always been very interested in the genre because without not actually knowing what it was, um, I remember one of my first experiences with the Nosferatu character was in there's an episode of are you afraid of the dark i believe it was where they actually have a character that's looks almost identical to the one that's in nosferatu um and uh it really it's it's one of the scariest depictions of a vampire dracula type character um and i just i it, so it was it was really new to me and and it's also hard being like somebody from my generation were used to everything being like fast paced and stuff to go back to watching those old silent black and white films without like looking at your phone or getting distracted or, you know what I mean? And, and it's, it's definitely a, a very unique experience. I think it's something that you really have to experience in a movie theater to really appreciate it and to really fully zone in on it. Um, which unfortunately it wasn't how I watched it, but, uh, yeah, I, I definitely am glad I've been diving into it because it's definitely a, like a genre that um, deserves people's attention, especially if you're a lifelong lover of horror. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I have ADHD, which means that I get really badly um, distracted a lot. So silent films are so difficult for me. <laughs> like, I have to watch them like three or four times before it actually sinks in. I had similar problems with, you know, Mike Flanagan's Hush. Yeah. 
had similar problems with that, that I've seen it about four times and I wouldn't be able to tell you what happened because I just get really badly distracted. Um, the thing I love about German expressionism is, you know, we've got like the surrealist art movement, which is all very dreamy and very, you know, all about the subconscious, whereas expressionism is nightmare fuel. Like it is pure nightmare fuel. And, you know, it kind of came from a time of you know the 20s in Germany especially through the Weimar period where people didn't have a lot of trust in their government and so there was a lot of pain and fear and it just really kind of culminated in this art movement um what do you think of its kind of uh its visual um expression I think that really is what makes it, it to me it, it doesn't feel like it's a movie that there was a movie crew that it was all these things happening. It feels like something that just existed and was just, you know, born out of the times of, you know, 1920s Germany, because obviously there was a lot, it was a lot of things were going on at that period prior to like world war two and stuff that definitely lends itself to this genre. And this, like you said, the, the, this, it, it's just this raw, like terrifying visual that is just so uh you don't see it a lot nowadays and it's it's almost like it's very antiquated but it's just as scary now as it was you know what i mean back then and uh i i, I almost feels like it, it's even more so because like i said it just feels like something that was has always been there that was just found but when you start looking into um the, the story behind how it was made, like, especially Nosferatu, um, it really, there's just a lot of like mystery behind it. The, some of the actors and like stuff with the occult and just different things like that. And uh, it, it's really amazing that it was ever made and it actually survived all that it did because there was a lot of efforts to actually, you know, get rid of it and ban it basically. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's definitely the visuals, uh, it's just, it's so creepy because like when you're watching it and it's, some of the scenes are supposed to be at nighttime, but because they couldn't film at night due to like, you know, the technology and stuff, it was actually in the middle of the day when they were filming. But so it's like this weird, like it gives you this weird feeling. Like, I don't know, it, it's, it really adds to the, uh, the uncomfortable feeling you get while watching it and the graininess and just the characters, how they're like very fast moving and almost like, it almost seems like stop motion because it's so, you know, just this, the way the technology was back then. I don't know if it's the frames per second or all that um, jargon, but yeah, it, it's, that's really what, what really to me, you don't even have to know what's going on in the movie. You just see a clip of Nosferatu rising up out of his, you know, out of his, what, it was like a box at the time. It wasn't really a coffin, but um, that alone is just like ingrained in people's memories, you know, because it's so iconic. Yeah, absolutely. I think with a lot of um, expressionist horror, there's this rejection of naturalism. Um, so a lot of it is very unnatural in, you know, the scenes, um, the movement, and that's what creates this uncanniness, which gives it that spooky vibe. Um, so let's begin with Nosferatu, to, Nosferatu, to, Nosferatu then, um, which was your pick. Do you want to introduce it and give it a brief synopsis, please? Yeah. Um, so it's about this 
like a real estate, um, a real estate guy who basically is trying, uh, from what I gathered, he was trying to, he went out to this place because uh, the ancient, it's like the castle of, uh, I can't remember his name, but basically the, the Dracula figure. Um, yeah. And he goes out there and is, is trying to, uh, I think he was either trying to sell his place or sell a place in his town. And he was interested in looking at some property or something. And so he ended up staying out there for a few days because it was so out in the open, out in the, like the wilderness and the mountains and um, Count Orlock basically catches a glimpse of the uh, realtor's wife and says, yeah, I w- I'll buy that place next to you guys uh, essentially. Um, and then you start to like learn about the history of where he came from, how he was brought on by like, uh, or you, you start to see when he, when he comes to the town, he brings with him like this huge plague infested rats and uh, to basically like clean out the townsfolk. And, um, and he, you also see that the realtor has like, he gets bit by him in the middle of the night and, you know, starts to experience all those, you know, typical vampire uh, symptoms and stuff like that. And yeah, it's, it's basically that, like, it's, it's kind of like a retelling of Dracula, except, and that's why it was so controversial at the time. Um, Bram Stoker's wife was like dependent on that money from, from Dracula. And so she was very much against this film being produced and set out there. And in fact, got it banned in their, in their um, part of the world for a long time. And because she was so dependent on it and felt like it was such a ripoff, even though they're so vastly different. Um, Count Orlock is like nothing that's ever been seen on screen before or even then, you know? So, um, but basically that's like the, the basic premise of it. Um, and like I said, it, it's, it's one of those things you, if you kind of have to do a little research because as you're watching it, it's like, for me, it was very hard to follow along because it is so like, it's just so different than anything you'll see nowadays. Um, but it's, 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 it was supposedly, there's a lot of mystery behind it too. It's not necessarily like a, a direct retelling um, of Dracula, but it, you know, it may have come from like the, the, what was going on in the world at that time in Germany, um, you know, and the director and all these different things. Uh, it has a really unique history, but I'm rambling on about it, but it's, it is a very cool, uh, story behind it, how it all came to be made. Um, and I, that's one of the more interesting things about it. If, you know, when you watch the movie, if you do a little research behind it, it is pretty fascinating. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about F.W. Murnau, who was the director. So um, there, there's rumors, as you said, that uh, Nosferatu is a bit anti, um, is a bit of an anti-Semitism kind of Mm-hmm. narration especially what was going on in germany at the time and it kind of represented a fear of the unknown and an outside force coming in and especially when we see it in the plague of rats um and then you know a lot of people feel that the depiction of count orlock especially with like the nose and the the rat-like features it was the symbolism of um bad jewish stereotypes um but fw murnau was you know had a lot of jewish friends was a lot of had was a homosexual man himself so he would have been one of those people that the nazis would have 
been against. Um, so how do you feel about that? Do you think it was just like he just wanted to, to depict like a nasty animal and then it just got kind of taken further? Or do you think there's something else behind that? Um, well, like you said, when you when you look into the background of the the, the filmmaker himself, um, it's it's easy to basically like know that that wasn't his his intent but because of the times and because of everything at that time was being like scrutinized and you know looked at as is this a you know is this a depiction of of uh the jewish people uh you know and germany and all that was going on especially into like the you know the before world war ii it was everything was like oh is this a you know, is he trying to tell us something about this? And so it's it's only natural that that happened. And it's just a unfortunate um, coincidence that where he was from, all that stuff and coming together and then the way the film was made, the story that was being told. Um, but like you said, I think when you start looking back into the filmmakers and their intent, that wasn't what they were intending at all. Um, and it's just unfortunate because... Sometimes, you know, history gets told in a certain way that, um, you know, obviously the filmmaker is gone. He probably didn't like make a journal or something, you know, and set in stone saying this is wasn't this wasn't my intent. That's just kind of what happened. Um, so, yeah, I just think it's it's one of those things that unfortunately and it still happens today. Um, there's a lot of movies that come out and people are like, oh, is this about politics? Is this about, you know, what's going on? in our world now and and you know that may not be the filmmaker's intent at all but that's just something that happens with art and uh you know what i mean visual mediums and things like that yeah absolutely there's always that thing in art and a lot of time with things that with an audience so you know with books mm -hmm. or with music or with film that there's always that intent versus reception um and of course, when the filmmaker is dead, it's very difficult to kind of dispel any myths or uh, anything. Um, so visually, what do you think of Nosferatu? Um, I think the visuals play a key, key part in basically, you know, the horror itself, because it just feels so unlike anything, you know, out there, even when you start to get into six movies um the the movies they start to like they're smoother they're cleaner um and you can tell it's old but um there's just something about the way like you said the unnatural feeling of the the people's movements in the movie and stuff um you know you see uh count orlock creeping around like you know the corners and stuff in the castle um it just feels that much creepier and, and a lot of the um exterior shots of the countryside it just feels so isolated and when you i was looking up some of the like some of the cameramen and stuff just to get like a quick little three or four five second shot had to like hike you know way up into the mountain just to get a shot of the you know the scenery and stuff and um i think it's it's it definitely it's impressive when you really think about the times and the technology and everything they had, what they were able to do with this film um, and how still, I mean, it's literally almost a hundred years later, it's 1922 um, still is very effective today compared to like 
horror movies of the 80s and 90s and the the special effects they had it, it just feels it feels real even though it's so uncanny and so unnatural that just i think adds to the uh the feeling that like you know what i mean that this is something that really happened and it's real and um i don't know and and that may just be unique to my experience but i i do feel like that um it it does you know that's why it's one of the greatest horror films of all time is because it's just so i don't know it has that longevity you know absolutely and one thing I, i'm always like amazed by is like you said it's nearly 100 years old but like even if you've never seen nosferatu before you know that scene where count you see the shadow of count orlock before you see him and that that just one shot is so influential in so many films and it's just amazing how even though you know it was ordered to be destroyed and it somehow survived and it somehow influenced uh, not only european cinema but also american cinema and it's just it's just amazing and when we take it back for expressionism it has that amazing work of like light and shadow and as you said you know they didn't have a lot of the the cinematic kind of uh things that they have today but so all they did have was shadow and it's like having of dr Caligari, which we're going to talk about in a bit it's very theatrical but it just it just lasts it just stands the test of time. I think that's amazing for a film from the 20s. Yeah, and I mean, could you imagine like the state of horror today if uh, that movie was never rescued or it was never made to begin with? Um, so many filmmakers and writers attribute that as a huge inspiration, especially in the you know vampire genre. Um, one of the most amazing uh, vampire Dracula films uh, is the one from like the early 90s with uh, Gary Oldman and if you can get past his awful British accent Keanu Reeves um, that's a amazing uh, depiction of the film and I mean who knows if that would have even been made if you know it didn't have the predecessors you know before that that came up um, so you know horror and the, the, the horror film industry really owes a lot to you know, the, that expressionism um, time period, because it was just, you know, and the fact that it was made is just so brilliant. The fact that it was saved, I mean, it's just, it was meant to be, um, and they owe a lot to that time period and those filmmakers for that went out of their way to do that. Absolutely. Um, so would you recommend Nosferatu to horror fans? Yeah, um, I definitely recommend it. I would suggest turning off all the lights, Pretend like you're in a theater, put your phone away, um, sit there and give it your full attention um, because you're going to find yourself in the, in the world we live in now, you're going to get distracted by things. Um, I mean, the, the, the text pops up on screen. It's not like a subtitle, like it's like an actual like different shot of the text. So you're going to have to get used to that. You're going to have to be patient with it. Um, it is, it's a fairly long film. I, I, I think it's longer than how I can't remember how long exactly it was, but um, give it your full attention um, because you're going to, you're going to appreciate it that much more if you're not missing little, you know, scenes and stuff like that. Cause so many of the scenes are just so iconic um, that you're not going to want to miss anything, but I definitely would 100% recommend it. 
Um, so let's move on to my pick, which is uh, the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Um, so it is a 1920, again, silent horror film directed by Robert Vine and written by Hans Janowitz and Carl Mayer. Um, so it tells the story of a murderous hypnotist played by Werner Krauss, who uses a somnambulist or a sleepwalker, uh, Conrad Veidt, to commit murders. Um, what do you think of The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari? Um, it's right up there with uh, Nosferatu. I mean, it's they're both very uh, influential and iconic. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's another one of those films that you just have to see as a... Uh, as a horror fan, definitely. I think the reason I liked it is, you know, we chatted about expressionism and how it rejects naturalism. And even in the way this film is laid out, it rejects a natural uh, flow. So we've got, it has, you know, like the frame story. And then we've got uh, like a prologue and an epilogue. And then we've got the twist ending. And it's just much like, visual journeyman expressionism it's all over the place and it's sharp twists and sharp turns and i really like the way that that kind of um plays out in the story what what did you think of the story itself um it's great i uh it was another one of those ones that i kind of it's you really have to sit and pay attention to it um i I had never seen it before. And I know a, a friend of mine who's obsessed with it. She's on Bookstagram. Um, and uh, so I was kind of interested in what, what it was all about. Um, you know, I don't really know. I don't remember much about it, to be honest. I watched it a couple of weeks ago. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it was uh, a great watch. It's uh, I, I think it was a little shorter than um, Nosferatu. So you can definitely hold your attention a little easier. Um, yeah, I don't didn't really remember too much about it, to be honest. That doesn't hold up well for it, does it? <laughs> <laughs> um, so what did you think of it visually? Obviously, it's got a very theatrical look. You know, we've got a lot of sets and, and scenes that seem to be very well kind of designed rather than, you know, going for perhaps more of like a an inset field like Nosferatu what did you think of the set design um like you said I think it was a little more it even though it was um it, I think it was just it was better put together than Nosferatu just felt like it was it was always there and it was like this thing that was filmed whereas this one actually feels more like a movie it's more theatrical like you said it has um, it has more sets, whereas Nosferatu was filmed, I believe it was filmed in like a actual, like a castle type, type place that was already there. Um, so it definitely, I feel like it holds up, um, very well as far as theatrically it, and it, it definitely, um, the way it was, the sets were made and everything. Um, it's, it's a very, it's a, it's a well-made film and it's very, good looking as far as you know all that stuff and you can tell it's it feels more like a movie whereas um you know also uh, Nosferatu just feels like it was something that was just there um you know it's always been there it, like this has this weird uncanniness to it so yeah I definitely um 
I like the way everything looked. It's uh, and I mean, man, that I didn't catch the actor's name, but he was another one of those iconic. His his look in the movie is just it's so freaking. It, it reminds me of uh, like uh, Mr. Hyde or or that character from Doctor Jekyll because he just has that menacing look to him. <laughs> so it's so crazy. <laughs> Yeah, he definitely has that Jack the Ripper look, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Caligari. And then, <laughs> and, and I always found um, uh, Cesar, who is the somnambulist, I found him quite scary as well. Because I, like, I saw pictures of him before I'd ever seen the film, and it always creeps me out. He's got those very big, black, dark circles and big, white eyes. And, you know, mm-hmm. he was, he was unnatural looking. He was, like, stiff as a board, and he was just, like, Again, it's rejecting the natural, and it's just, it really creeped me out when I first saw Cesar. Um, and another thing I like is how all the sets is very tall, and they're very, like, you can see where Tim Burton got his inspiration from. Yeah, it does feel very, and, like, the angles and his use of, like, lines and things like that, it does feel very, you could definitely tell he was inspired by that because it's not something you generally see in, like, architecture or you know what i mean and it adds to the you know like what the movie is going for you know it, it kind of messes with your mind a little bit yeah so um the the kind of themes in cabinet of dr caligari is again we see this distrust in um authority uh, so the two writers were apparently pacifists who uh, had a deep distrust of the German authorities and Caligari represented the kind of irrational government and the brutality and the author- authoritarian, I can't say this word, the authority, anyway, um, whereas Cesar is like the soldier, obviously coming from World War One and all the atrocities they had been forced to commit. So do you think that this film gets across the theme well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that's, it's, it's one of those things that's kind of common with that time period where it's, it's telling that story um, due to the actual real world situation that's going on. Um, I think it does it very well. It's, it's similar to, this one's a little more on the nose, but like with, um, Tolkien and Lord of the Rings, his whole telling of that was because of like his experience. I believe it was World War One and stuff kind of going back to using that real world, but telling, you know, your own story with it. Um, yeah, I think it was very effective. And um, it just it's a it's a little more on the nose than um, Nosferatu, where, you know, a lot of the backstory behind that is is kind of like interpretation whereas this one is a little more you know definitely is obviously what they were going for so would you recommend uh the cabinet of dr caligari to horror fans yeah absolutely um i think both films are definitely um you know because a lot of the greats were inspired by these classics and even though they can be tough to kind of watch and focus on they're definitely they'll stick with you for a long time and uh they're definitely something you should add to your list i mean just as any other classic horror film like the exorcist or um you know those older the rosemary's baby anything like that they're just must watches um so you can and especially because they're so old um it's just it blows my mind like how not really ahead of their time because it was, but you just think of those days as like, you, I just have a completely different 
thought process when I think of like history, but it's really cool to see these people were, they were, they wanted to do something scary, something to creep people out and take them out of the, the real world of what was going on. And you can appreciate that as a horror fan, um, you know, for sure. So I definitely recommend it. And out of the two of them, if you had to pick one to recommend over the other, which one would it be? Um, I probably have to say Nosferatu only because it's, it's so well known. Um, you know, so many people have that, those images ingrained in their heads, even if they've never watched it. And the, it's not the, like the beginning of the vampire genre, but it's definitely one of those ones that, I mean, you know, Dracula obviously is, you know, the, the main one, but this one definitely visually, I think is way more effective than any, you know, than most of the older Dracula depictions because Count Orlock was so scary and, you know, looking into the mystery of it, his, the story of uh, Shrek, his name was, I believe the actor, there's just so much mystery surrounding him that it just adds to that, you know, that spookiness of the story. Um, but I, so I would definitely recommend um, Nosferatu over um, Caligari, but they're both definitely must watches. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if, you know, you were going for a double bill and it was like a dark stormy night and, you know, like turn off the lights, get some popcorn going there are perfect. Like they're perfect double bills. Um, I guess I would agree with you. I would pick Nosferatu because it's more easy to digest than Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. But as I said, they're a great double bill. And I always think it's really important to go back and know your history when it comes to horror. Um, you know, a lot of people think that horror is like this new-ish kind of movie genre. And it's not. Like, you know, they were scaring the pants off people back in the 20s. Um, so, yeah, I always think it's really important to know your history. Um, what do you think is the legacy of German expressionism? Do you think that it has any influence over modern day horror or do you think it's kind of just one that's kind of stayed in the past? No, absolutely. I mean, you know, the legacy is how it influenced modern day, um, not only authors and artists, but filmmakers, because it does, I mean, it's, it is so old and antiquated, but it's like, once you watch it and you, like you just said, um, you just don't think of that time period as, you know, people were interested in horror and being scared because there was so much going on in the world. But that's kind of how people cope with things is they watch movies and films, even in the olden days at the very beginning of it, because they want to be taken out of that real world horror and the things that are going on. Um, these would have been, uh, I believe, just right around World War One when, when these films were coming out. Um, so yeah, I, I, uh, absolutely think that, you know, they have left their mark on the, the world as far as, um, you know, movies and everything. And I, I would like to look into more of the, uh, of the genre because, you know, it's, it's, uh, I don't know. I, I really, I liked it. I, it, it's creepy. There's nothing like it really. I don't even know if you could do it nowadays make something like this feel this way because it was just such a time time period a certain way of doing things um you know you would always be able to notice the modern day um uh, things that they're putting into it you know what i mean it's a hard way to say it but 
Um, it's one of those things I think it could only have been made at that time, place, in that time period. Um, and you should really appreciate it for, for the work that was put in to get it here um, and the influence it's had on, on the world. Yeah, I mean, we can definitely see its influence visually when we think about any film that has like a lot of shadow work. Um, and as we said, Tim Burton, I mean, if you look at the angles of the cabinet of Dr. Caligari, we can see that in Beetlejuice, you know, with the, oh, yeah. fire, the fireplaces or angles. And, you know, that's, that's very cabinet of Dr. Caligari. But I think also in the way it portrayed socio-political and economic goings on at the time is that it's something that is still really relevant today in a lot of countries mm -hmm. such as america such as the uk is there still is a lot of socio-political unrest and then you know it comes to the point of how do horror writers how do horror filmmakers portray that on screen and i think german expressionism has a lot to answer for when it comes to that and then obviously when we think about nightmare fuel you know, you can't mention that without saying David Lynch. Yeah. And I'd say Absolutely. that German Expressionism has a lot of influence in his work as well. Yeah, for sure. And uh, and you kind of think to yourself, like, wow, those guys are way ahead of their time. But honestly, that was like the time and place for it. Um, it's just that so many people now are so inspired by their, their style that it feels like Tim Burton, David Lynch, and those folks um, are so like, they're like ahead of their time, but in reality, they're just, they're borrowing from what was going on a hundred years ago. And that's, what's really amazing about it. When you um, start to notice, you know, different things like that, like the, the use of shadows and things in, in modern day cinema, um, where you, it's just like when you listen to music and you think, oh man, this is so original and stuff. And then you realize that's a sample of an older song, much older, you know, um, it's, it, you can, when you start to look into that, it's, you can really appreciate the brilliance of these filmmakers, um, you know, from, from the twenties and what they were doing over there. And cause no one else was doing it. And really anyone that's done it since has just been borrowing from their vision. And that's, what's really amazing about it. Um, so thank you so much for chatting about uh, German Expressionism with me. But uh, before we go, I always ask my guests, what is your favorite horror film? Oh, that is the, the toughest question. Um, I guess uh, I would have to say, like right now, mm, one of the ones that has affected me the most over the few years is very new. Um, and it's uh, hereditary has really stuck with me. Um, but it's so hard to say which one's my favorite because I consider my favorite is ones that I've rewatched over and over and over and over again. But that one is one that really stuck with me and I have watched it many times. So I, I guess I'll go with that one because um, I could babble on about horror movies all day. So <laughs> I definitely would say hereditary. Yeah, Hereditary has definitely been a grower on me. Um, I didn't like it the first time I saw it, and then I've watched it a couple of more times uh, for an episode for this podcast, um, and it's definitely growing on me. And I like the way that the more and more I watch it, the more little things I notice. And I'm like, oh, my God, I didn't notice that before. And what's this about? And it's caused me to, like, go back oh, and research yeah. it. And I like films that do that. So, yeah, Hereditary is a good choice. Yeah, and it's it's really um, what Ari Aster does with his films is really um, 
something I enjoy, which is, you know, the rewatchability, the, 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 he hides a lot of uh, information um, in his movies. And if you don't go back and rewatch it, you'll miss all the little things that he hides, like with Midsommar, um, which wasn't even like one of my favorite movies that I watched, but he literally gives you the entire plot at the very first, like there's like a tapestry at the very beginning of the movie that tells you everything that's going to happen, but you won't know that until you watch the movie. And I love stuff like that because it's just so forward thinking and, you know what I mean? And, and yeah, anytime you can, a movie has rewatchability and it's not just there to like spook you out. Um, I like that kind of stuff for sure, which Hereditary is great for. Absolutely. Um, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. It was a great time. So that was my chat there with Joshua about uh, German expressionism, horror and uh, the cabinet of Dr. Calgary and Nosferatu. Um, I just want to say sorry for all the background noise. I was actually in a hostel in London recording that. So there would have been quite a bit of background noise and I'm very sorry about that. But sure, look, listen, it was a very interesting episode. I hope you agree. Um, if you have anything to say about it, don't forget you can find me on social media on Instagram and Facebook at Water Scream Podcast. And I'm a bit more... Um, what's the word? A bit more on Twitter than I would be anything else. So you can catch me on Twitter at what underscore scream. Um, You can also find all my writing on there as well for the various publications I write for as well. Um, Don't forget whatever podcast platform you are listening to me on, please give me a review and a rate just to help me along there. That would be great. Thank you so much. Um, I hope everyone is okay and are dealing with the festive season okay um there are gonna be coming up some great christmas themed episodes i'm super excited about um christmas horror is is pretty awesome and if you're you know you're not really into the traditional festive stuff then you know it's always fun to check out a christmas horror or two um so as always stay horrific goodbye Goodbye.